0: The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's word is a real blessing to you. Galatians 6, Galatians 6 this morning. So we uh, yeah, we were gone for, I don't know, 10 days or so, and so wasn't a conducive time to do a... Uh, I uh, continue with Romans, I want to do something a little more, uh, I had a little more foundation and so we're going to take a break from Romans today and, and uh, revisit our theme for the year, uh, love one another, and uh, so, yeah, I had studied this passage before, and so our text today is Galatians 6, uh, 1 through 5, and, um, and so let's go ahead and read this, uh, really, really just very foundational passage, we really couldn't have this theme, love one another, and not look at this text. Uh, It is uh, just a a crucial passage related to our theme. So, Paul says, "Uh, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Now that I've been pastoring for a few years, it's interesting to compare what I thought pastoral ministry would look like when I was in college with what I actually do. And uh, so looking back when I was 20 years old in college and uh, looking ahead to being a pastor, I was really excited. I, was, I wanted to be a pastor because I wanted to preach expositionally and because I wanted to make disciples, invest in people, spend time doing one-on-one uh, counseling and ministry. And, uh, and I'm thankful uh, that uh, I get to spend a lot of my time, invest a lot of my time in those two things, preparing to preach sermons, and uh, as well, just discipling people, ministering to people, meeting with individuals. But I have to admit that God has given me a lot of other responsibilities that I didn't really think about or anticipate when I was 20 years old. So pastoral ministry is much more multidimensional than I ever thought about or even considered uh, when I was a young adult. And, uh, and I love some of those other tasks. There are things about pastoral ministry that I really enjoy that I never even thought about, but then there are some other aspects of, of my job that I don't quite enjoy as much and that I'm not quite as good at, you know, and so, so I have to work hard and I have to work to stay motivated to do some of those other things, and Galatians 6, 1 through 5 challenges me about a couple of, a couple of ministries that aren't quite as natural, or aren't quite as attractive to me, but that are very important. Confronting those who are stuck in sin, and as well, uh, just compassionately and patiently caring for those who are weighed down. And they're very important tasks, not just for pastors, but for all of us. After all, our text is not addressed to pastors. This passage is addressed to to everyone who is, as verse 1 says, spiritual, which we're going to see should be every Christian. And so this passage is for all of us, and that's because the reason Paul addresses this to everyone is because the tasks that come up in this passage are too big for just a handful of people to fulfill. They demand broad commitment from from the entire church. And if we all embrace these tasks or at least the vast majority of us do, then, then we can make a massive difference in each other's lives. And we can also glorify our Lord much better and come a whole lot closer to fulfilling our theme for the year of loving one another. So, so the first responsibility that Paul gives us in this passage is that we are to restore the fallen. We are to restore the fallen. So, so verse 1 uh, here describes a scenario that we wish never happened. But that is all too common. Paul says, if anyone, uh, speaking there of, of a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, a, a fellow believer, if anyone is caught in any trespass. Now, now trespass here is just a general word for sin. So, so this is a broad challenge with many different applications. So, so it's also significant that he says here that this sin has overtaken Uh, Or it says here, he is caught in this trespass. So so that verb there communicates an element of surprise. The literal idea here is, is that a brother or sister in Christ is ambushed by sin. They didn't see it coming, but now they're stuck. They're stuck in a sin that they didn't anticipate. And if you've been in church long or spent much time investing in people, you know that this happens and you've seen this happen before. You know, so for example, it's rare that someone you know, who is walking with the Lord, someone who is cultivating a good marriage, just wakes up one day and decides, I'm going to cheat on my spouse. No, they let their guard down, they stop being watchful, their defenses deteriorate and sin takes advantage and they are trapped by something that they didn't see coming. And I think it's important to emphasize that this can happen to anyone. You might sit there and think, man, that would never happen to me. I would never be trapped by sin. But but it can happen to all of us because we are all frail sinners. So, So don't ever presume on your ability to stand and your ability to avoid major sin. Stay on guard. And when you hear stories or see someone that you know who has fallen in sin, use it as an opportunity not to look down your nose in disgust, but to say, that would be me, but for the grace of God. And so I need to watch my heart. I need to check myself and make sure that I am living a disciplined, careful Christian life in dependence on God's grace. So so verse one here describes someone who is overcome by a sinful pattern. They may recognize the sinful pattern, or they may be totally in the dark to what they're doing. They might be repentant, or they might be irritated that their sin got found out. It could be a long-term pattern, or it could be a one-time failure. But regardless, what do we do when we see that a brother or sister in Christ is stuck in sin? What will Paul commands us here to restore? He commands the spiritual. To restore such a one. Now now you might hear that and think, Well, that's great, I'm off the hook because I'm not spiritual. So we'll have to leave that to the pastors and to the really spiritual people in the church. But in context, that excuse does not work. So look back at what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So so, God commands every Christian to walk by the Spirit, which, which simply means that I live my life in dependence on God's grace and mercy, and that by God's grace I am striving to, to walk in step with the commands of God's Word. And then look at what he says in chapter 5, verse uh, 25. Chapter 5, verse 25. He says, If we live by the Spirit, and what's that mean? That means I'm alive, I'm born again. So so if I live by the Spirit, I'm a Christian, I should also walk by the Spirit. So so all believers live by the Spirit, and therefore, we should all walk by the Spirit. And therefore, in context, the spiritual in verse 1 of chapter 6 are are just simply Christians who are living the Christian life the way we're supposed to live it. We're, We're living in dependence on God's grace, and by the grace of God, we're striving to obey His will. So, if you aren't spiritual, then you need to get there. And if you are spiritual, verse 1 is addressed to you. So God is commanding you, not just pastors or special Christians, that when you see a brother stumble, you are responsible to restore them. Now, that verb restore simply means to fix something. It's used... In scripture, for example, of, of fixing a broken down wall or of mending a, a, a net that is torn. And, and so Paul commands the spiritual to, to rebuild or, or to mend the life of a brother or sister in Christ who is overcome by sin. Now, now you might think, now, now just, I mean, you're sitting there thinking, now, now wait a second. So, so I know about this major issue in my brother in a, in a Christian's life and I'm supposed to, I mean, that is above my pay grade. I, I can't do that. I mean, what, what if I confront him? What if I, what if I raise the issue and he gets mad at me? You know, what if, what if she cries? I don't know what to do with that. You know, what if, what if, they're, not, what if they're upset at me for, for confronting it? What, what if they ask a question that, that I don't know how to answer? What if, what if the problem needs more time than I'm capable of giving? You know, and the reality is, is that all those things can come up if you try and obey verse 1 and all sorts of other things. If you try and obey verse 1, sometimes it gets awkward and difficult. And I think, though, it's worth mentioning, though, that it is especially awkward and difficult if we're not living out the theme that we have for this year. You know, so, so if you wait until a crisis to try and initiate and build a strong relationship with someone, it's really hard to help someone when you don't have a relationship. I think the more we as a church foster the kind of culture that we've been talking about this year where, where we are investing in each other and building strong relationships and, and building a foundation of trust and care and love, then, then the easier it's going to be to do this. Yeah, because, because pre-existing love and trust, if you, if you know someone loves you and cares for you, and then they have to speak a hard word, it, it, it lands much better than someone who's never talked to you before. And you're not quite sure what their motivation is and and where they're coming from. And and as well, I think it's worth mentioning that the more we live closer to each other as a church, the more we're involved in each other's lives and the more we can can see a problem coming down the road and deal with it before it gets serious, then the easier this verse is to live as well. And, And so there's ways that we can keep this from being as hard as it otherwise might be. But the reality is, is that's not going to solve everything. No matter what culture we build as a church, some people are always going to resist deep relationships. They just want to walk in at 9.59, walk out at 11.16, and talk to no one. And there's nothing we can do to change that. You know, and as well... Um, you know, so, so there's going to be times, and, and, some, you know, and even we, we can hide sins. There's no way, there's no way that we can anticipate every issue or see every issue that's cropping up in people's hearts because people can hide things. The reality is as well that sometimes when you confront issues, people aren't happy that their sins are discovered. They're angry, they're irritated that, that you found out. But, but even if it gets awkward or tense... Even if someone loses their temper at you, what really matters more, my comfort, the comfort of having strong relationships, or the soul of someone who is trapped by sin? I mean, loving one another demands that we obey this verse, and that when we see someone struggling in sin, that we deal with it, and that we never just turn a blind eye and walk away. So, so maybe you know about someone that needs to be confronted. You know, maybe you know someone that, that you, the, the sin issue is there and they're repentant, but, but they really need someone to come alongside them and help them uh, get back on their feet. you know, love your brother enough to get your hands dirty, to get involved in people's lives, to, to deal with things that you know, maybe you're, you're not quite sure how it's going to go, you're not quite sure what's going to happen in this conversation, but you're going to go for it. And pray that by God's grace, it turns out well. If you don't feel adequate, get help. But but never let fear or personal comfort keep you from caring for an eternal soul. We need to support each other well in our battle with sin. And and then notice that that Paul follows with a word of caution. He he says there at the end of verse 1, he says, Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now, now the background to this caution is is that some in the church were struggling with with pride and with petty division. That really is an important background to this verse. So so look back at what he says in chapter 5, verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15, he says, If you bite and devour one another, That that is quite the picture, isn't it? If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. You know, if you eat each other, you're going to get eaten, is what he's saying there. And then uh, chapter 5, verse 26, he says, Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So, so Paul here, in these two verses, mentions uh, division, Boasting and envy because, almost certainly because they were issues in the church. He, he doesn't typically raise things like this unless there's real issues at stake. So, so some of the church, it seems, from, from you know, kind of putting the pieces together, they thought that they were spiritually superior to other people. And they were flaunting what they thought was their spiritual superiority. So, so, so you know, think of a Pharisee. Think of a Pharisee. And of course, that kind of arrogant, condescending attitude absolutely kills ministry, right? Now, how do you react when a snotty person starts to confront you or lecture you? I mean, you just just hang on every word, right? I mean, no. You're like, leave me alone. Don't bother me. You know, it's hard to listen. It's hard not to get defensive when someone is arrogant and, and despises you for your sin. And therefore, effective ministry demands a spirit of gentleness, or you could also say meekness. So in other words, we we must minister with a thoughtful and intentional mixture of both compassion, but also strength. You know, when someone is stuck in sin, they they need humble love, but, but they also need, at times, firm correction. Now, now, striking that balance is not always easy. You know, it's easy to get frustrated or angry with the sins of those that are close to you. I mean, think of your siblings. You know, when your siblings do something stupid, your, 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 your gut reaction is generally to slap them across the face and to be annoyed, right? And so we have that reaction to some people with whom we're close, but, but then there's other times where, where we're too timid to say anything at all. Or we just want to love and give a hug and say everything's going to be okay, and and sometimes we, we can do that in a way that actually confirms the person in their sin instead of helping them move forward. And, and so it's very important that we don't let the sinner stay comfortable with where he is, that, that we push them to, to, to get the help that they need, to break the cycle, to set up the disciplines that they need, to, to really go forward. So, so Paul says... You know, confront in a spirit of gentleness with with both compassion, but also godly strength. And and then he adds that you must also look to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now, now there's some debate about how exactly to understand that statement. And and I remember thinking, um, you know, just from reading this passage without understanding much of the context, uh, thinking that that the idea here is, is that, you need to be careful that you don't fall into the same sin as the person you're confronting. So, for example, you know, let's say you've got to go pull a, a brother in Christ out of a nightclub. You know, you want to be careful that you don't pull him out and then end up staying there yourself, right? So, so, so that is a real concern, right? That, that if we are going to help someone out of a sin struggle, that we don't fall into the trap of the same sin that we're trying to get someone out of. But, but the likelier option in context is that Paul is warning the Galatians here, uh, again, about this self-righteous pride that looks down with disgust on the person who has sinned as if I would never do that myself. Oh, what a, what a wretched, pitiful sinner you are. I can't believe that you would do that. And Paul is saying, you need to look to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And of course, that's important you know, first of all, just because, you know, because we need to be realistic about our own sinfulness and our own wickedness and understand our, uh, our ability to fall. But I think as well, uh, Paul's particularly concerned about the fact that that sort of arrogant snottiness kills ministry. And I think as well, it defies the gospel that we believe, right? You know, that if I am a Christian, as a Christian, I'm living at the foot of the cross every day recognizing that I am a sinner who is saved solely by the grace of God, then I will always be mindful of the fact that that I am what I am because of the grace of God, not because I've got things figured out and I'm so disciplined and I'm so spiritual. And and that attitude, that that godly attitude, will dramatically alter how I react when, when when a brother or sister is in sin. You know, it's a blessing to watch Christians respond that way, right? You know, I've seen that many times from from mature people in our church. You know, that that when they hear about a sin in in someone's life, you know, they don't huff and puff and they don't slander or gossip or just despise the person who has sinned. No, no, they, they move with grace and care, compassion, at times a firm love that corrects and and seeks to fix the issue, but it's all filled with gospel grace. So, so folks, verse 1 here is, is challenging us about an aspect of ministry that is very hard and at times very awkward, but is absolutely essential to our life as Christians. You know, God has not called us to be anonymous believers who slip in, slip out of church, Never engage in in meaningful relationships. And don't let anyone into our hearts and our souls. Because because we cannot stand alone. We need the support of others. And at times we need people to slap us across the face. Because sin is deceitful. And so we need this ministry. And the people around us need this ministry as well. So, So I want to challenge you to prepare right now to serve well when the need arises. You know, the time's going to come when someone that you know and someone you care about is going to need you to lift them up. And so, live at the foot of the cross every day, mindful of your need of grace. Walk in the Spirit. Cultivate the fruit of the Spirit that come up in chapter 5. And cultivate the courage, the discipline, and the gentleness that are going to be essential when that need comes up, and maybe you sit there and, and you're, uh, you know we're talking through this, and and you're thinking of someone that you know, you know of a situation that you need to go to someone and you need to invest in their life in a difficult way, and maybe you're scared. You know, there's been times you know where I'm, you know, a conversation's about to begin, someone's about to walk into my office, or I'm about to walk in their house. And it's like, man, I don't know how this is going to go. I mean, I might get the door slammed in my face. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what I'm going to say. But I know i got to go for it. And I want to challenge you to go for it. By God's grace, be willing and ready to prioritize the care of a brother and sister in Christ above your comfort or above the relationship that you enjoy. So, so we are responsible to restore the fallen. And then the second responsibility that Paul gives is that we must bear burdens. We must bear burdens. So verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, now I recognize you, you might look at verse 1 and say, I could never fulfill verse 1. But, but even if you think that, although that would be false... Verse 2 is definitely in reach of every Christian. So, so a burden is any weight that, a di- that is difficult to carry. You know, Think of a heavy load. So, so in light of verse 1, uh, Paul is probably especially thinking here of, of a sin struggle, of, of a burdensome sin struggle. But, but a burden could be any sort of heavy weight that a fellow believer is carrying. It could be a health struggle. It could be a heavy responsibility like caring for a sick parent. It could be stress over family tension, sorrow over a wayward child, pressures at work, financial difficulties. It could be a tangible need like fixing a car or a leaky roof. So, so burdens can come in many shapes and sizes, and the reality is, is that they oftentimes feel incredibly heavy. But thankfully, God never intended for us to bear our burdens alone. No, he designed the church to help carry the load. And, and so the idea here of, bearing, of helping to bear one another's burdens is that if someone is struggling under the weight of a heavy burden, we just get under it with them, and, and we help to carry the load. So we partner with our brothers and sisters in Christ in carrying the burdens of life. And it's worth noting as well that the verb tense indicates that, that we are to continually bear each other's burdens. So it's not enough you know, that, that we... You know, we hear about a problem and we kind of do our our token little thing to help the problem and then we walk away because our conscience is satisfied. You know, it's not enough, you know, just simply to, you know, if we hear someone is enduring a a health challenge, we we make them a meal, we've done our thing, and now they've got to figure out the rest on their own. You know, it's not enough that if someone is grieving, we, we write a card, although that's a good thing to do, and then we forget about it. It's not enough that, that if someone is struggling under the weight of sin, that we kind of speak our, our word to them and then hope they figure it out from there. No. We are to get under the load and stay under the load until it is solved. Now, as a pastor, and you know, I've obviously, I mean, just because of my role, I've got a bigger perspective than maybe most on the, the amount of burdens in our church. But but I think all of us can recognize that when you really think about fulfilling verse 2 for all the people in our church, it sounds overwhelming because there are a lot of burdens in our church, and it is a lot of work to bear all of them. You know, so there's no way that, that Pastor Tim and I or, or even you know, a, a good team of, of skilled people can, can bear all the burdens that, that come up in our church. And, of course, that's why God gave this command to every one of us Every Christian is commanded to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters. So you are responsible. You are responsible to help bear the burdens of the other people in our church body. So, so when you see a need, you know, don't like, oh, I wish I didn't know about that because now i got to do something. Or don't sit there and think, boy, I, I really hope pastor hears about that and does something. You know, or, or someone over here that's really good at taking care of that does something. No, we need to be ready to jump in and help. Now, it might be that the burden is too big for you to bear alone. So, so recruit some people to help you. If you don't know, and, or maybe you're like, well, well, I'd love to do this, but I don't know of any needs. I, I don't know what problems are out there. Well, then just invest in relationships. You know, get to know people, spend time with them, ask thoughtful questions about their life. And I guarantee you that if you have a thoughtful, aggressive approach towards building relationships, knowing people, that you will find out very quickly about plenty of places where you can be a blessing and where you can engage in significant care. And yes, there's a lot to be done, but if we share the load, we can bear it together. And as we do that, we can really serve each other well, but as well, we can be a wonderful testimony to the world. You know, I was thinking as I was studying this week about the fact that, that we live in an increasingly isolated society. And so many people in our culture don't have any people, right? Like they've got a need and they have nowhere to turn. They don't have deep friends who will drop everything to help them. They don't have people who will jump in and watch kids or make a meal or do this or that. But but the church should be a very different place That, 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 that we can rally together, we can meet needs, and we can have a marvelous testimony to the world as we do this. I mean, remember, I mean, what did Jesus say in John 13? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So when we do this, we stand out to the world as having a community that is different from how most people function. So so we need to bear burdens. And furthermore, Paul says that we need to do this because as we do it, we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, now we don't have time this morning uh, to fully develop what that means, what the law of Christ is. So, So here's my definition of the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the ethic of the New Testament as reflected in the example and teaching of Jesus and the apostles. So that's kind of wordy. It's the ethic of the New Testament as reflected in the teaching and example of Jesus and the apostles. So that's the law of Christ. And in this context, Paul is especially concerned with Jesus' example of sacrificial love. So so look back at chapter 5, and notice what he says in verses 13 through 15. He says, "...for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh." But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So so verse 14 there is especially clear that loving each other is at the heart of godliness. And why is that? Well, it's because sacrificial love is at the heart of the gospel. And, uh, and Paul's point is that when we love each other enough to bear each other's burdens, to sacrificially give of ourselves, then, then we reflect the heart of Christ that he demonstrated when he gave his life for us on the cross. So, so again, I mean, verse 2 is not just a cool option if you're an overachiever. You know, like there's some Christians out there You know, they really want to go all the way and, you know, they they want to run an extra lap. And those are the people that bear burdens. No. I mean, when Paul adds that phrase, you fulfill the law of Christ, he is saying that this is at the heart of what it means to reflect the heart of Christ. It is the heart of godliness to come alongside people and to give of ourselves sacrificially. And so in some, verses 1 and 2 teach that loving each other is a whole lot more than a feeling. I mean, love one another is is, is a lot more than you walk in this room and and you think, oh, these are my people. I love these people. And and as well, uh, fellowship. Fellowship in the church is a whole lot more than talking to each other a lot or spending a lot of time together. No. I mean, fellowship in the church Loving each other in the church is is investment. It is partnering together in the Christian life and in just life in general. And so it is not enough. You know, you cannot cannot obey our theme this year and just hang out on the fringes of God's people. And God has called us to be significantly engaged in each other's lives and significantly giving of ourselves to each other. So the law of Christ demands investing in relationships and people. It demands partnering in the pursuit of godliness. And so all of us, all of us, if you profess to know Christ, need to think about what responsibility has God given to me to care for his people. Because this is the heart of godliness. So so we are to restore the fallen. We are to bear burdens. And then the third major responsibility he gives us in this passage is to walk humbly before God and each other. Walk humbly before God and each other. So, so verses 1 and 2 uh, here pre- present some basic principles that, that in theory, right? Like, like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we just, if we just lived in verses 1 and 2? Everything would be great. But the reality is, is that the theoretical world is not the real world. And we have competing sin passions and desires that... And we often struggle to achieve what verses 1 and 2 describe. But, but God understands. And so in verses 3 through 5, uh, he confronts some real-world competition, you could say, with verses 1 and 2. And, and Paul here is particularly concerned with the self-righteousness and pride, again, that, that we've been talking about, that were plaguing this church. And, and few things... Few things will destroy the the unity and the fellowship that God wants among his people, like arrogance, especially that Pharisaical arrogance that we all despise. So, so Paul first responds by challenging us that we must recognize our own weakness. We must recognize our own weakness. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, this is one of those verses that is a bit tricky to interpret because Paul is clearly speaking to problems at the Galatian church, but we're not at Galatia, right? And we don't know what's been said to Paul. And so, you know, this is sort of like listening to one side of a phone conversation. We've all done that before and you're trying to piece together what's going on, but, but there's only so much you can pick up only listening to one side of the conversation. All right, but but, it's, but I think we, we know from, from the, the rest of Galatians that pride was clearly a problem among these people. So Paul just mentioned in in verse 26 of chapter 5 that we are not to be boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And and verse 3, notice what he warns against. He says, he warns them by deceiving themselves by thinking they are something when they are in truth nothing. All right? So so we ought to assume that those verses are connected and that verse 3... Is confronting the pride that Paul just mentioned in chapter 5, verse 26. So Paul is particularly concerned about how this pride was killing ministry among the people. So, so how is that? I mean, how is pride killing ministry? Well, well, we just saw, for example, in verse 1, that, that Paul warns against arrogance that thinks I'm above falling into sin, right? So so, so that happens, right? You know, particularly when you're an immature believer, a young believer, you hear about how a brother or sister in Christ sinned, and you think, man, what a loser. I can't believe he did that. I would never do that. All right? And we were all there at one point. Maybe you're still there. And um, and, and we have to understand that that sort of pride absolutely kills ministry and support. After all, who really wants help from someone who thinks he's God's gift to mankind? You know, he shows up and says, but boy, you ought to be thankful that I'm here. You know, I, you know, and, and if you're, you know, somebody, they have to find ways to slip in reminders of how much they're sacrificing to be a blessing to you. You know, I stopped doing this and that, and I'm here to bless your soul. And you're thinking, I don't want much of your blessing. And, and so verse 3 here is admonishing us, you know, that, that if you think you're something, You need to understand that you're nothing. And and he's not saying that only some people are nothing. He's saying that we're all nothing, right? Because we're all sinners saved by grace. And so so Paul is saying here that we need to replace pride with with a sort of humility that recognizes that I am what I am by God's grace. And so I'm here to serve not because I'm something, but because Jesus is something. And and then as well, I think that Paul, uh, well, well, as well, the grammar connects verse 2 very closely to verse 3. So so it seems as well, based on what Paul says in verse 2, that some of the church believed they were above getting their hands dirty with other people's burdens and above needing other people to help bear their burdens. We've seen that, right? You, know, you look at some people's problems and, and you think, no, I'm not going there. Like, I can't. I'm not sticking myself in that mess. I've got. I've got a good, clean, easy life. I'm not getting down in that muck. That happens oftentimes. And, and as well, you know, there's some of us. I mean, I. I mean, I, and this is. And I, I mean, I am. I have a fiercely independent personality. I do not like asking for anything. And and so and so, if you're wired like me. You know, there's, there's the, the tendency to think, I don't need anyone's help. I can solve my own problems. I can take care of my own issues. No one's going to know about what's going on in my life. And I am not opening myself up at, in the least. And so, and so therefore, Paul again says, if you think you're something, you're above helping people or you're above needing help, you need to recognize that you are nothing. And so there's no way, and that's so important, because there's no way that we can truly partner in the Christian life if we think that we are above getting in the trenches with each other. You know, if you're, I'm going to stand outside the trench, well, you're going to get shot really quickly. And if you're not willing to to help each other in the trench, then that's a problem as well. So, So Paul responds that they were deceived, and they didn't realize they were nothing. We are all needy, whether we realize it or not. So guard your heart against pride. Do not begin to think that you are something when you are nothing. No, God says that we all need to be vitally connected to the body of Christ for the good of our souls and for the good of others. And and as well, you need to serve Christ's church the way he served you. Now, I mean, you are not so important. I say this with all the love I can muster. You are not so important. And your life outside the church is not so important that you are too busy to invest in God's people. You know, sometimes we fill up our lives with all sorts of stuff. And then when when a genuine need arises among the church, we don't have time to do anything. Because we've got all this important stuff going on over here. Because we're important. And we need to recognize how small and weak we are. And so may God help us to love each other like Christ loved us and to humbly support each other in the pursuit of godliness. So, so we need to recognize our weakness, and, and then verses 4 and 5 state that we must carefully evaluate our lives in preparation for the judgment. So verses 4 and 5 say, but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Now, now these verses, again, are kind of head scratchers, right? Because, because Paul just said in, in verses one and two that we're to live these, these mutually dependent lives as Christians. Verse 2 said that we are to bear one another's burdens. And it sounds like verse 5 directly contradicts that, right? Because he just said, Bear one another's burdens, and then he says in verse 5, we are to bear our own load. So so how do those fit together? Well, again, the fact that we're only hearing one side of the conversation uh, does make it a little bit tricky to understand exactly what's going on, but considering the context, we ought to assume that that Paul is still concerned with these issues of pride and divisiveness. And more specifically, it seems that there was a lot of petty competition in the church about who was righteous and who was the most effective minister. So so look at what he says in chapter 6, verse 13. He says, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. So, so that word boast is there in verse 13 and also up in verse 4. So, so it seems to be there's some kind of a connection there. And so, so you can imagine the testimony services at the Galatian church. And they're asking for testimonies and guy raises his hand stands up fixes his hair holds the microphone just the right way he says this week i convinced two gentiles to get circumcised and he sits down next guy puts his hand up stands up this week i convinced three gentiles to get circumcised sits down and on and on it goes It's just ridiculous. And and so in response, verses 4 and 5 are saying that we shouldn't compete with other Christians over who is the best or, or who is doing the most ministry or who is the most successful. No, instead, his point is is that we need to examine our own work and just stay focused on faithfully doing what God has called us to do. And that's because someday we will stand before Christ and give an account of our lives. And, and so I think that's really, you know, when he talks about bearing our own load and, um, and having boasting in ourselves, I believe then that he's looking ultimately to when we stand before Christ, that when you stand before the Lord, you are going to bear your own load. You're going to be held accountable for how you lived your life, not how someone else lived their life. And hopefully by God's grace, you will be able to boast in the reward of God Uh, not in someone else's reward. And and I think the context indicates that that's where Paul is headed because notice what he says in verses 7 through 9. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So, so the boasting and the bearing of a load in verses 4 and 5 are both related to that final judgment. And what Paul is saying then is that when you stand before Jesus someday, he's not going to be interested in hearing about how you bore more fruit than this guy over here. Jesus is not going to care that, that you looked better and did more than, than this guy who over here who was your rival. No, what Jesus is going to care about is if you fulfill the stewardship that he gave to you. And in his evaluation is going to matter far more than other people's. So therefore, when we stand before the Lord, we will bear our own load because we will give an account of how we live their lives, not how someone else lived their life. And if, as verse four says, we exa- he examines our works and we prepare well for that day then we will rejoice. We will boast in that day because we will hear Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's a good reminder because it is easy to get it caught up in comparisons and competition. You know, to look and see what this guy's doing over here and how people recognize him and the positions he enjoys and, and to get envious and bitter. And that can distract us from God's purpose. So, don't get distracted by petty strife. You know, just stay focused on faithfully doing what God has called you to do in preparation for your judgment. And then rest in the fact that God perfectly sees your heart, He sees your limitations, and He will reward you faithfully. So, so in conclusion, this text should serve as a great reminder that we are all on the same team. You know, it's not just that, that we're a bunch of random travelers going down the same highway. And you know, sometimes that's how church can feel. Like we're all driving down you know, Interstate 15 and we're all just trying to see who can get there the fastest. No, no, we are a family. We are a community that is going down the road together in dependence on each other. And so, and so we're not competing for power, glory, and attention. We are partners in pursuing godliness. And so therefore, if the Spirit has convicted you, about places where personal ambition, selfish interest, petty strife are compromising your commitment to the things that really matter, then I want to urge you to repent of it and forsake it. And replace those things with a sincere love for Jesus and for his church and for the mission he has given us to help each other on to glory. So embrace your obligation as a Christian. To build up his church. And then based on that, go out and build relationships that you can use in partnering together for godliness. You know, if you recognize a spiritual struggle or a burden in someone's life, meet it. Reach out. It doesn't have to be some drastic, incredible thing. Just love people. Pray with them. Care for them. Do practical things. And when you have a struggle or you have a burden, have the humility to let other people serve you. And let's all help each other prepare to stand with joy at the judgment of Christ, rejoicing in what he has done. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this practical challenge. And God, I pray that by your grace, we would strive as a body, as a church, to grow more and more into this picture every day. And God, thank you for all the people in our church who model this passage on a regular basis. And Father, I pray that we would all improve and grow and by your grace that we would serve each other well. And to God, I pray for any in our church who are overtaken in sin, that, that Lord, that sin would be exposed and it would be corrected and that by God's grace, we could rejoice in your work. And so help us, Lord, to help each other to Christ. And we look forward to the day that we see you and stand in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.